Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. Welcome to Weekly Jump, presented as part of the Geekly Grind Podcast Network. This is our weekly episode reviewing first impressions of newer anime and manga titles. Let's jump in. Hey everybody, uh, Spencer here. Blake is also here, I guess, in some sort of form. I guess. Um, <laughs> he's he's mostly broken down from his lack of love for these things that we're going to be covering. Um, but I had a great week. <laughs> Look, I had some fun this week. Oh, I, I had one didn't. thing that I hated. <laughs> you what? I think I said I had one thing that I hated in it. Spoiler alert, it's going to be at the end. Yeah, um, that's what I thought. <laughs> but but anyways... This one's uh, going to go before, from good to bad th- this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, before we begin, I forgot what the keyword I said last week was, but send me something about uh, assassinating a classroom or my classroom of assassination or whatever. Um, it's, a, it's a really cool little uh, whiteboard or... Uh, dry erase board yeah it, um, it, it sounds amazing and it has the Kuro, Kuro, Kuro is it Kuro Sensei is that his name yeah it has different faces for him which is great because his face is hilarious and charming yeah and it's it's great it's a it's a little dry erase board it it writes in white ink on it um or not white ink but white dry erase on it it's really cool um so if you're interested in that you should definitely reach out um and uh you should you should let us know that you would like to be entered into that drawing because we like to give stuff away and with all that being said i had great screen time this week because I got to watch an anime that has been on my bucket list for so long. I thought you would like um, this. <laughs> I love Boogie Pop Phantom. Um, is It's what I watched. Um, and it's it's old school anime, so be prepared for it. Um, it it definitely has the feel of old school anime. Um, it has very different animation style than what you'd be expected uh, a lot of times um, from newer anime stylings. But... The premise of the show is so cool. Um, so there was an event that happens at the very beginning of the show um, where a portal, a rift is open in the town um, and you don't know what is happening, um, but all of the lights and all of the electricity inside of the town goes out and then it comes back on. And then after it comes back on, everybody is just kind of living their own lives and doing fine. Um, then we cut to like a, a school scene, um, where a, a bunch of girls are talking about a Shinigami that is running around the city. Not like Bleach, um, totally and, different. <laughs> yeah, it's very different. Um, and what we are going to find out inside of this show is that when this portal opened, uh, there are monster things. I don't know what they are yet because I only watched a couple episodes of them. And there are going to be people that are hunting these monsters in the city. Um, and the monsters can take the form of other people. And uh, there is this horrible moment where the lead character, or what I assume is the lead character, is uh, is finally catching up and meeting up with this crush that she has and the crush like starts to open his mouth and a monster like 
like uh, tentacle thing starts to come out of him, and he's just like going to eat her. And right before he does, a shuriken on a uh, string stabs through his head and runs into the wall. And this uh, like hooded figure comes up and is just like, "That wasn't who you think they were. That was somebody living in his body." Um, be careful out here, and then just kind of leaves, and you're like, "What just happened?" <laughs> yeah, Boogie Pop Phantom. I have I've actually seen this years and years and years ago, and my memories of it are that it's spooky and a little confusing, but very engaging. Yeah, it also has a really cool artistic style. Um, and the artistic style, if you were expecting something where it's like bright flashiness, it is not that. Instead, it plays around with almost like a faded film quality that you're seeing life through. And it almost have the, has this thing of like, yeah, I kind of get what they're doing here. Instead of having white light for everything inside of rooms, it almost gives the uh, like the illusion of a yellow lamp or fluorescent lighting inside of different areas, and it gives it sort of an ominous feel just from the color palette. And from that, I could immediately tell that this is going to be an anime that I was super interested in. Um, it's going to be one that I am going to, you know, devour and watch all the way through. It is definitely a all-in jump-in. It is considered to be a uh, stepping stone for people that are into horror anime. Um, it is it is one of those that people tell you immediately that you should watch this, especially if you're into horror and classic anime. You should definitely jump onto Boogie, Bo- Boogie Pop Phantom. Yeah, I don't know who Boogie Pop is yet, but I'm totally down. <laughs> You'll find out. Uh, it's uh, it is very it's pretty scary. It's a pretty unsettling type of scary, and there is a decent amount of gore in it. So, oh yeah, man, it's not that first it's, episode where she just oh my god, there's a part at the end where she is told that this wasn't this person and that she should be okay, and she's she is left in this state of shock. And after she starts, she starts crying a little bit and then starts to laugh a little bit and cry. And like, there's this moment where it's washing over her of like, what happened? And also, if you saw this in your normal life, this just happened and you saw like your crush turn into a monster and then get murdered in front of you, you would be in a state of like unsettled shock. It is it does a really good job of capturing a real human psychology inside of anime that is not always done. Yeah. It's a really good show. It is not for everybody, but if you, it, if you're, you know, old, old enough to enjoy it and into horror that has some disturbing imagery, then, you know, you should go for it. Yep. Yep. Okay. Get into yours because uh, I am so interested to find out what you thought about it. Dr. Stone. I'm watching the anime this week after covering the manga last week. And uh, if you'll remember, I'm going to do a very truncated summary for anybody who's new here. But uh, you'll remember I really liked the manga uh, largely. I found the premise really uh, exciting and interesting. And I thought the implementation was pretty good, too. Um, The story is that a wave of green light has washed over the planet, turning all humans into stone statues. And uh, then over almost almost 4000 years later, Um, Some of the humans are starting to wake up, specifically our two main characters. One is a high school brainiac science savant who sort of knows everything about science, 
uh, and is just the super, super know-it-all smarty pants. And the other one is our sort of like lovable buffoon who's just very earnest and kind of a big, strong boy. And uh, they make a good team because science guy knows how to do stuff. And big, strong boy is able to do the stuff that needs doing with muscle. And uh, so he wakes up. Science guy's been awake for a little while and they are going to team up to help find a cure for the petrification that swept across the world and also rebuild society. Um, The first chapter is actually just about the first half of the first episode. I am used to first chapters and first episodes corresponding. Usually the first chapter of a manga is extra long, about two to three times longer than an average chapter. So while an average anime episode covers about two to three chapters worth of content, the first episode usually only covers the first episode's worth of content because it's just more packed than the rest. This actually had story, uh, quite a bit of story that followed past where I read, um, since I only read the first chapter last week. Uh, So I got to find out a little bit more about what happens. And... um, I loved this. I thought Dr. Stone was so good. I was just having a great time watching it. I was like, there's just something about the the heart and the determination at the core of the story uh, that really excites me and, and gets me wanting to watch more. I just, I I was delighted by this. I thought it looked good. It's not like... It's not crazy high quality animation, but it is very much up to modern standards, which is pretty good. Uh, Did the I, pacing get to you at all? Like the pacing really bothered me. Uh, see, I thought that the pacing of at least I only watched the first episode, but I thought the pacing was really good. I, I thought it was quick. I was surprised again that it it covered more than the first chapter uh, in the first episode. I believe I suspect it covers the first two chapters. It may have gone up to three, depending on the amount of plot. It, to me, it's definitely not Yu Yu Hakusho, which listeners to our Friday pods, uh, particularly the Yu Yu Hakusho episodes, will know that we are constantly marveling at just how much stuff it can pack into an episode without feeling rushed. Um, and I, I definitely didn't think this was as stuffed as that. It's definitely taking its time with the things that it's doing, but I never felt like I was in a lull. Like there are a couple of montage sequences that move you from one thing to another, but those montage sequences gave me an idea of like the shape of this world and the shape of these people's days and sort of the, the thrust of what they're trying to do, what they're trying to achieve, where they're trying to get to. So mm-hmm. for me, I felt like it moved at a, a really, really good pace. Probably I would say that this was the optimal pace for the story to me. Obviously you can't prove a negative. So I don't know. Somebody out there could probably edit together something and, and challenge that assumption. But I, I felt like it was just right. I don't know if that's going to change as the story goes on. It is my understanding that this story has some pretty big tonal shifts as it goes. I think it I think at some points it turns into more of a shonen fighty thing. But I think for the most part, it's like a rebuilding the world simulator or something. Um I don't know how I would feel about this going on. It sounds like the kind of thing that I will like and then continue to like. And um, I know, Spencer, you and I have talked several times before last week about how it didn't hit you very well. And I am I'm happy to say that for me, I really enjoyed both iterations of this and uh, I would recommend both iterations of this. Um, Obviously, I think Spencer's review makes sense. 
And I, I like, I don't think you're wrong about anything that you're saying. I just, it just didn't hit me like that. So I think if you're listening, if that premise sounds interesting to you, it's worth checking out. Um, and I also think there's, there's some like innuendo jokes, but for the most part, at least first episode, first chapter, it's not overtly sexual. Even when the characters wake up naked, they're kind of nervous and embarrassed about being naked, but not really like, it's not really like a fan servicey thing. It's not really talking a lot about sex. They sort of make a reference to repopulating the planet, but it's just, it's a, it's real blink and you'll miss it. Doesn't go into any details or do any like eye, eyebrow waggling at the audience. So I think this is a good one that you could watch with younger viewers. Although um, if you have like really young kids that you're worried about content, I would, I would recommend doing your own research, but like, you know, teenagers are going to be totally fine here. Yeah. Anyways, that takes us into my page flips for the week. Um, I got to read a real weird one um, mm. that I did not expect to be as good as it uh, ends up being, uh, which is Seraph of the End. Uh, Seraph of the End is a manga series about a bunch of kids that are the sole survivors of a horrible apocalyptic uh, plague that wipes over the planet, killing all adults over a certain age and leaving only small children, except for the children are then culled into... uh, work giving up their blood to vampires slowly as they grow up. Um, the vampires like come out from under the earth and take over. Um, and it really makes you think number one, the vampires got into some released a plague. It, it really seems like it. And number two, um, the main character of the story is going to be spoiler alert. If you want to read it, um, He is going to be what seems like the only survivor of an attack of the noble vampires as he escapes. He gets to the top of the world and sees the world is still there. And there are a bunch of people that that pick him up and they're like, hey, come with us. And he's like, yes, I would like to go with you and I'm going to learn how to kill vampires because my childhood friend got killed by a vampire even though he stole a gun and tried to murder this vampire before they left um he was bitten right before he leaves and uh the main character shoots the vampire in the head we don't know if the vampire died or not before he runs out and escapes it is a really cool spin it is a super interesting story that makes you wonder if like you know, is the world really over and the vampires took over and there's just like a a couple of people that survived that are adults? Or is this just like a propaganda campaign to steal a bunch of children? Um, It's really interesting. It gives a cool dichotomy between the the vampire species and the human species. Um, And I definitely think this is one for people to jump into. It sounds great. It's it's a series I've heard of for a long time it's only up to chapter like 98 on yeah on uh shonen jump so i don't know if it's ongoing and i'm just like making it up or if it's an older series that they're like backlogging or what but i've heard of this periodically it seems interesting and that description really has me intrigued to to check it out further (laughs) yeah what did you read uh, I read, this was one of the first things sent to me by Geekly Grind, and it's taken me a while to get around to being able to review it because it was a book, and I'm a slow reader. So this book is called Bleach, Can't Fear Your Own World. It is a Bleach novel. 
Uh, I believe it is technically what's called a light novel, which uh, is not a term we use a lot for books here in the States, unless maybe, maybe you do if you're like deep in the book community. But it, for my part, I had never heard the term light novel until I started you know, learning more about anime, manga, and that kind of stuff. Light novels are probably most well-known to you guys out there as being the inspiration for shows like That Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime, or uh, what's that one that everybody hates uh, with the with the game and the guy that's Kirito, who's, like, too strong? Uh, Sword Art Online. Sword Art Online. Uh not everybody hates that, but it's, uh, you know, the people that hate it really hate it. Um, and it's just like light novels have become increasingly the source of uh, storylines. Actually, ReZero is one of those. Um, mo- many of the anime these days that have those just like stupid long titles where you're like, why couldn't they have shortened this or like come up with something else? Those are light novels. I don't know why that is the case, but that is the, the case. Uh, Bleach Can't Fear Your Own World finds itself in the Pantheon. For my part, I have never read a light novel before this. This is the first time I've read a light novel. It's the first time, to my knowledge, that I've read a Japanese translated to English book. Um, So, the storyline picks up after the events of the Bleach manga series. So, post the end of that whole deal. It does a lot of referencing to the end of the series and basically it's focusing mostly on a handful of soul reapers in the soul society trying to um trying to sort of figure out what they're going to be doing now that all of this mess has happened and been resolved meanwhile one of the uh noble clans so kind of like the byakia's family the kuchiki clan or um yoruichi shihoin the Shihoin clan, those are those are both um, part of the, I think, five, not royal families, but the five sort of aristocratic families of the Seirete. And uh, so one of the other families, this guy makes like a power play and hires some assassins to kill all of his relatives so he can become the heir apparent to his family fortune and name and power structure. And there's a mysterious kid that is in his employ that has powers that feel like some mixture of soul reaper and Quincy and, uh, and, uh, uh, hollow. What's the R and car. And so stuff happens in the, the Serete and stuff happens in Waco Mundo. And the book has a huge cast of, of characters. Um, and, I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) I, first of all, I struggled because this does not focus on Ichigo. It doesn't focus on Ichigo's sort of like immediate circle. It's focusing on soul reapers and specifically it's focusing mostly on soul reapers that aren't as prominent earlier in the story. They show up late in the, uh, in the arc where, uh, Ichigo goes to the Soul Society for the first time to rescue Rukia, or and and some some of them rise to you know they they are introduced but they don't really have their moment until later arcs. And here's the deal: I know those characters from early Bleach really well. I know their names. I know who they are. The characters that aren't as prominently featured, I know what they look like. 
I recognize them by sight, but I do not know their names off the top of my head. And this is a novel. And while there are a few illustrations included in it, it's not a manga at all. And I had so much trouble keeping track of who was who. And this cast is massive. It also includes many characters from the end of Bleach, which I have not read. I don't know who these people are. (laughs) So I struggled a lot just keeping tabs on who everybody was and what they were doing. Second, this story is so Japanese. Like, just the way that the characters think about things is just very foreign to me as a person who has grown up in America, even as somebody who's been into anime and manga for many years. And, uh, you know, I've been exposed to a lot of, like, Japanese culture by osmosis from watching anime and manga and learning about, you know, where it comes from. And obviously you learn a lot about, like, their sort of um, common cultural thought processes and, and tropes and traditions and stuff like that. Like you just, you, you have an understanding after being in anime and manga for a while of some of the key ways that Japanese people approach the world that are different than us here in the West. And that is fascinating. But when all the characters are sort of like internally monologuing about it, it's just, it's a little hard to, to like, I had a really hard time attaching myself to like their motivations because their motivations felt less like something they wanted and more like the thing they're, they're doing. So they're going to do it. And that's ties into the dialogue, which is dialogue straight from a manga. Like this is definitely somebody writing this story as though they were writing a novelization of a manga you know, a series of manga chapters and the dialogue reads like it. Characters say things that don't make sense for characters to say in a book. They also will have dialogue where it's just open quotation mark, three dots, close quotation mark, which I have never seen. Usually you describe how they were speechless or didn't say anything rather than just putting ellipses in a quotation marks. It's just, it's just strange also i don't know if the people translating this have any literary background because it seems like they didn't put any work into cleaning up the syntax because some Mm. of the sentences are so grammatically fraught that they're just like you have to reread them over and over again to be like what are they saying or if you get it it's so clunky that it just there are so many times I, I could probably open up any any single page of this novel and pick out at least three sentences that should have been changed because they just it's just hard to read. Um, all of that said, if you are a Bleach super fan, I think you might like it. You might have some of the claims that I have, but part of the reason that I struggled with this was I don't feel like I know these characters very well, the ones that are at the forefront of this. And there are very few new characters. There's only like two or three characters that I could glean were introduced in the book itself. I think most everybody is a layover from the series, but most prominently from the end of the series. So if you know Bleach very well, you might not have that problem. And then... All you've got to contend with is what I think is very poor quality writing, 
So your mileage may vary. If you're somebody who notices that kind of stuff for whatever reason, you might struggle with that. If you're not the kind of person who notices that stuff or cares too much about it, you probably aren't going to care and you might just enjoy the story for what it is. I think if it weren't for having so much trouble following who was who and who was trying to do what, I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Uh, Although I still think that the writing style for me would have been too off-putting. One other thing I will say, it is definitely a part one. The sequel is already out. They are they are this is another way that i think the this is feels more like a novelization of a manga rather than a book in its own right the way that they hold things close to their chest it's not it's mysterious in a way that would be titillating if i were watching it unfold in a manga but is just frustrating as a reader so i think if this art if this book were put into a manga i would probably really enjoy it But as a novel, I found it endlessly frustrating, and it took me longer to get through than I think it would have normally for a book this size, and a book that is, it's not a high reading level, it's hard to read because it's poorly constructed, but it's not a high reading level, it shouldn't have taken me so long, but I just was not enjoying it so much that it became a chore to read it, um... Again, I think there are ways around this. If you aren't affected by writing quality and you are a Bleach super fan, I think you should check it out. Otherwise, I don't think it's worth your time. Cool. That takes us to our last uh, thing that we're covering this week, which is our tag team. It's, uh, it's, uh, It's not good. It's... It's uh, called Blood of Zeus. Uh, it's on Netflix. Who? It is, I guess, an anime. Um, yeah, it is. It's part of their anime f- series. They call it a net, not a sponsor, original anime. And but also, it's created by like it's it's not created by Japanese people. It's created. It's they sounded either American or like I don't know Swedish or something. It, it's definitely it's it's an anime in the in the way that Avatar: The Last Airbender or Voltron: The Legendary Defender are anime. You mean Avatar? Shut up! Are you talking about Ong so or Soka? It it unambiguously <laughs> looks like it's pulling from anime rather than from other like more traditional Western styles of animation. But yeah, uh, I I. I hated it. Uh, and it wasn't because of the animation style. Because oh. the animation style is not the most frustrating thing about it. I think the most frustrating thing about it is how clunky the story is. And also, like, it just it it just is so weird the way that people move in it. Yeah. Like it's the the anime like the way that they draw the characters doesn't bother me as much because it sort of feels like they're doing like a a play on Greek mythology yeah, like they're they're trying to draw them inside of a a way that looks like they're off of the side of a, a you know an urn from a museum. But let's but, let's differentiate here between art style and animation style. Art correct. style would be the design of the characters and the world around them and how the art looks if you were to take a still image of it. Correct. Animation style is how that shit moves, and that and is the problem. It, it is, is it's, so low quality. When things move quickly, it looks like there are frames missing. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm just like, this is 
As someone who loves anime and is trying to be an ambassador for other people to watch more anime, it is something that makes me angry at Net Not a Sponsor. It makes me really frustrated at them because the show is is the story of you you can pick it out pretty quickly what's happening here. Yeah. There's a there's a race that seems like they might be vampires or something, but they're like they're called you know, evil yeah, but they're they're like spawn of titans inside of this world, um, or at least that's what I take it to be from my reading afterwards because I could not stomach to watch more episodes of this. Yeah. Um, the the characters you're gonna get your introduction to some of the gods and some of the demigods, um, and they're gonna have like fight sequences and some gore that happens inside of it and some dumb looking fights. The problem with the show is that the 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 style of the animation is disjointed and the story is disjointed um, to the point where I wonder what the, what the source material is. Um, and if the source material is, is better than the adaptation shows that it could be. Um, and I really would like to know that. Um, I think this is going to be one of those moments where like, that is all I feel about it and want to talk about it. But I would love to hear what other people think about it. This is one that I would like to have like an active Twitter conversation or Discord conversation about what you felt about it because, and this is the biggest big but for me, Rotten Tomatoes has really good scores for this. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'm like, who is reviewing this? Yeah. Like, is so- it people that are big fans of like the DC and Marvel like animated stuff? Because I can sort of get that because sometimes they, you know, kind of fall off the boat on what they're doing with animation style. But, I, you know, Young Justice and Justice League are way better quality animation than this. Yeah. So uh, let me let me jump in on that point and then I'll talk about my review. So number one, uh, it's not there is no source material. It's like Avatar The Last Airbender. They just wanted to make it. Um, it, it is nominally said to be one of the lost myths like a, a myth, you know, they say at the, at the beginning, there's a prologue that's like, you know, Greek mythology is an oral tradition that was passed down, but not all of those stories made it to us today. This is one of those stories. And uh, that is them, you know, couching their original story within the mythological pantheon of established lore. So um, this has fantastic reviews. It has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes out of 19 reviews, which is not a ton of reviews totally. And obviously Rotten Tomatoes, if you don't know, Rotten Tomatoes percentages are based on do they think the reviewer was more positive or less positive? If they were more positive, it's a yes. If they were less positive, it's a no. And the percentage on Rotten Tomatoes is the number of yeses versus noes, not the average rating. So you can get you can get a completely across the board tepid response that is more positive than not but nobody is glowing and have something have a super high rating. You can get something with a low rating that people are raving about because some people didn't like it. So all of that said, it has a really good score on Rotten Tomatoes. I haven't read any of the reviews, so I don't know how actually enthusiastic they are. On the Wikipedia article, it mentions the critics consensus and a reviewer who may or may not have been included in those Rotten Tomatoes reviewers who really liked it. It was also mentioned on one of my um, evergreen podcasts, the Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR, um, maybe my favorite recurring panelist from that show mentioned it one week as his things that are making me happy and talked about how much he liked it and how good it was. So 
my review is the animation is trash. It is so low quality that for it to be a modern show should be an embarrassment to the people involved in it. It does not meet modern standards of animation quality by a long shot. And you look at this being from Net Not a Sponsor, who has made things like She-Ra and Voltron that are gorgeous and well animated, and you're like, was this $10 an episode? It's only eight episodes. How was the budget so low that this that they can't fully animate things moving? The first the first like two minutes of the episode, all dialogue is off screen. Like they cut away from the people talking. And I'm like, lip flapping is one of the cheapest things to animate in animation. And you're just showing me something else. Like this is, it just looks shitty. It looks so cheap and so corner cutty. And then there are action sequences where things speed up, but the frame rate doesn't really get any better. It's not a moment of Sakuga. It's just them using this limited low quality animation to do faster animation. So it looks a little bit better because things are moving more quickly from one place to another, but they're not moving any more smoothly. Um, I would also say the direction's not very good. Um, I'm not, I'm by far not an expert on directing animation. I, I understand how it works when you're directing movies and TV. I don't understand that process as much when you're directing animation because instead of directing people to do a thing and cameras to point in a direction, you're talking, you're, you know, you're project managing an animation team. And I just don't know how much crossover of my understanding of direction goes into that. But like these action sequences, it's they're using shaky cam, and I think they're using it not just to spruce things up, but also to hide the low quality animation behind artificial movement. It, but they're also the way that they're using shaky cam and zooms and and just the framing of their shots. It really obscures a lot of what's going on in a way that can be very frustrating. Um, for me, outside of the animation quality, I strongly disagree with you, Spencer. I found the story to be really intriguing. Um, I did not find it confusing um, or like labyrinthine or anything like that. And I thought it was a, I thought the premise of the show and the story of the first episode was pretty good. It is a show whose story and the art style too. I really like the art style. It's very much an anime inspired art style. You see like a flashback sort of here is the tale of the Titans kind of thing. And the Titans look like dope ass anime monsters. And I really enjoyed that. Um, all, all of the pieces of the show are things that I like. I'm also a bit of a sucker for Greek mythology. So if you're doing a Greek mythology story, you're going to perk my ears up just because that's what you're doing. Um, all Everything about this is something I would like, but the animation is so bad that I was turned off by watching it, despite enjoying the story and wanting to know what happens. Like I, I want to watch more of this, but I enjoyed watching it so little that I don't know that I will be able to bring myself to do it. And that is very frustrating to me. So that's it for our week, I think. Um, I know kind of a frustrating week there at the end. I I guess to finish off Blood of Zeus, uh, if you don't really, if the animation quality isn't something that gets you, If you're the kind of person who watched One Punch Man season one and went on to One Punch Man season two and was perfectly happy about it, um, then 
you might like this a lot. Um, I think the reviews talk about the storytelling being really good. And again, for my part, I really enjoyed the storytelling. So if that's not going to be a deal breaker for you, check it out. But if, if that low quality animation is going to get you at all, it's going to get you hard here. And you may find yourself more in Spencer's camp where you're not vibing with the story either. So um, do what you can to, uh, to check it out if it interests you. And um, I would second with Spencer, reach out to us and start a conversation about this one because I'm really curious to hear if we are just being animation snobs or something. I want to know what your response is to this. So anyway, that's it. Uh, we're going to give you a little bit of advice before the episode's over, so stick around for that at the end of credits. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions and presented as part of the Geekly Grind Podcast Network. Sound editing is done by Rashad English. He's our level 13 sound wizard. 13? Did he jump even more levels? He gained a lot of experience by defeating the Dark Lord of Smooth Jazz. Do you mean Chuck Mangione from King of the Hill? Rashad is the King of the Hill now. Damn it, Bobby. Anyway, our podcast is ad-free, and if you want to keep it that way, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at Reddit.com slash R slash Get Jumped. Also, we have a Discord server. You can find the links to that on all of our social media platforms. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New review episodes come out every Monday, and new rewatch episodes appear every Friday. And hey, thanks for listening. Hello, anime fans. My name is Jeremy, and I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of The Geekly Grind, a site dedicated to all things geeky. From video games to anime, D&D, board games, comics, and more, since 2015, we've worked to provide fresh geek content and reviews every week. A big part of our content expansion has been the creation of our very own podcast network, of which this very show is a part of. And if you're listening to this, chances are you need no introduction to Blake and Spencer, who offer two shows every week covering anime and manga series, both new and old. However, if you're looking for more podcasts to fill your commute, or maybe your new working from home arrangement, we've got a few other shows to spotlight that would be a great addition to any Geek's Media menu. First, there's Comic Book Keepers, where you can join Lance and Chris as they discuss comic books, heroes, and their impact on our lives. If comics aren't really your thing, maybe you're looking to find something exciting out in the geekosphere, do a little exploring, maybe, you can check out John and Ben's Geek Exploration podcast. They cover a variety of topics from video games to the latest Disney announcements, game shows, and more. A real grab bag of geekdom and a fantastic addition to your weekly listening. Maybe you're a Dungeons & Dragons fan. Well, I would invite you to join the Knights of the Rolled Table, a comedic and family-friendly audio drama featuring a cast of improv actors bringing their unique flair to D&D. Whatever your geeky interests, chances are we've got a podcast for you, and we're excited to offer convention access, giveaway content, and more as part of our continued partnership with Blake & Spencer Get Jumped. See you next time. We'll see you next week, and until then, make sure you get all those bat guano droppings so that you can try to revive people from their stone prisons. All right, everybody, stay safe.